There are little niggles that come in of people giving you a backhanded compliment going, oh yeah, but she's a commercial artist. Sorry, I want to be a commercial. Andy Warhol was a commercial artist. Yeah. Pablo Picasso was a commercial mm-hmm. artist. Mm-hmm. Commercial means money and acclaim. Damien Hurst, like Damien Hurst has got the best art career pretty much in history. He's up there with one of the best mm. contemporary artists of all time. Yeah, I want to be like Damien Hurst. I will mm. sell my soul for that. Mm. That's, I don't want to be eating beans and sleeping on a mattress on the floor no. I want a really beautiful house and I want my work to be in really beautiful places mm. and I want to earn I don't want to earn money when I'm dead Hey, welcome to the Lady Brains podcast We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie co-founders of Lady Brains a digital and IRL club for female founders and founders-to-be We're chasing down the most successful female entrepreneurs from around the globe not only to hear their life story, but to extract their knowledge and world-class insights. If you're curious and ambitious, then Lady Brain, you are in the right place. Get ready for some hard-hitting truths, a dose of inspo, and learnings you can apply right away. Strap in. For Bobby Clark, turning her artistic passion into a business has not come easy. She's battled with the fear of not being seen as a true artist, not having the skills to set up good business practices, as well as valuing her time and creativity. Up until recently, she's kind of been winging it. It wasn't until her friend and partner Steve saw that she had 40,000 visitors a month to her site, with nothing for them to buy, that she decided to start selling prints online. This decision changed the game, and it gave her a steady stream of income for the very first time. Once Bobby started taking the business side more seriously, she also discovered that she had $1.5 million worth of lost sales due to abandoned carts. That forced her to fix any leaky buckets and to find new opportunities within the business. She's now hired a business coach, an accountant, and is on the hunt for a commercial agent to grow her business even more. In this chat, Bobby is funny, she's candid, and she's super insightful. And if you're a creative or artist trying to make it in this world, then this one's for you. So, Bobby, you started your solo art practice in 2016. Can you take us back to that time and paint a little bit of a picture? What were you doing and what inspired you to start your own side hustle passion project business? Okay, so I was working at Pop and Scott, which is a Melbourne-based, like, kind of design furniture workshop in Northcote. So Stephen actually got a studio space in there. Um, and I went in to obviously check it out as well. And I ended up meeting Poppy, who was painting all the pots, these geometric shapes. She was doing it all herself. She was pregnant. She's like, I need someone to help me. So I came on as a pot painter for Pop and Scott. And I ended up working there for like three or four years, like maybe three but during this time, like, I'd taken a break from anything basically creative. Me and Stephen had both finished art school and came to Australia on a working holiday and I'd maybe not done anything creative for about four years. I'd just been, like, you know, dotting about, doing retail work, blah, blah, blah. I was working as a painter and decorator. So when I was working with Poppy, obviously I was heavily involved in, like, design and art again and I kind of started feeling like, oh, I kind of want to do something for myself again. Um, so on the side, I just started doing painting. The Steve and Poppy both were like, "You've not. Why are you not doing this anymore? Like, you need to start painting again." So Poppy gave me access to the pop painting studio that I could use um, when we went up there. So on weekends or nights, um, and pretty much get, let me use like all the paints and stuff. And I just started 
I think I'd watched the documentary on Picasso and his life story. I mean, I'm obsessed with Picasso. I've read it and like watched it a thousand times, but for some reason I decided to rewatch it. And he was talking about how, or not he, because he's dead. The, <laughs> the documentarian was saying how he was at such a high level of like artistic skill from such a young age. And he went up and, uh, sorry, progressed to doing like Renaissance painting. And he reached a point where he had a massive creative block and he's like, what now? And he decided to strip it right back and go back to like primalism and start doing like mark making and abstract faces. So I kind of just thought, oh, I'm just going to stop putting so much pressure on myself to find my style or what I want to do. Because I used to be like a hyper realist portrait drawer. Oh, wow. And I was like, I don't like that anymore. Like it took me like seven hours straight to do a tiny portrait. So I just started mark making again and kind of, it all just kind of happened from there. It was just at the time when Instagram was getting really popular mm-hmm. and I had started getting a bit of a following through um, working at Pop and Scott and just my photography. So just photographing what we we're doing, the projects we we're working on and just kind of being in that industry and around the right people. Um, so I think I posted my first painting on Instagram and it was just literally, it was like an ink. I always mix my paint with water to make like inks. And it was like, really looking back, it was fucking terrible. um, (laughs) (laughs) I posted it and someone wanted to buy it. And then that just kind of naturally kind of kickstarted me wanting to think about doing it on my own. Plus I was um, doing a lot of photography then. So my original idea was to leave Pop and Scott and do um, freelance photography and create kind of photography packages for businesses to promote themselves on social mm-hmm. media because that was the new platform for marketing and, and advertising. So I left with the idea that I was going to be a photographer and make my money and then do art on the side. So that was the loose plan. The loose plan. What? Why do you think that you had that creative block? Like talk me through why you put down the brush for four years. What was What was blocking you at that time? I was pretty exhausted. I'd been studying for maybe six, seven years. Um, I came right out of high school into college. I studied art and design, done a portfolio. Then I studied textiles, fashion, and then went to art school in Manchester. So it was a long, long road of studying constantly Mm. Um, and working really hard as well because I... um, my, I don't come from a well-off background, so I had to fund myself through university. If I wanted to go, I had to pay for it. So I was working maybe like two or three jobs on the side trying to get myself through this. So we were both pretty burnt out. And when it came to the end of studying, we weren't ready because it was like pretty much renewed in the UK. The only option really is to move to London. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, but we both weren't ready because we're both in the same boat to get right into that I'm like I need a break so Steve came home one day and was like oh fancy Australia and we pretty much just packed the bag and left so when we got here we'd started again and we knew no one we'd moved we moved to Greensboro as well which is like yeah basically the the burbs the burbs burbs. different completely different culture Mm. from us like the burb culture pretty deep Australian and we had to pretty much re-find ourselves. We got mixed in with uh, like different people, different culture. It was all just about like finding where we wanted to live. So we moved around, lived in Greensboro for maybe a year or two, then moved into Sydney Road, Brunswick, which again, not our scene. And we finally found Thornbury. And when we landed in Thornbury, that's kind of when 
our old selves started to come back. Because mm. it was all just about like experiencing somewhere new, finding our feet, finding where we wanted to live. And also like I just wasn't in the creative industry here. So that just did not seem like an option. Uh did a lot of work in like the creative industry back home my cousins in like tv and film so I always had something but when I came here we had to start from scratch yeah. no one so it was like yeah. get whatever job we can I was like for the first three months I was in the city every day handing out CVs and not one response from it because I was on a working holiday visa no one wants to employ you either so I think it was just like a time of kind of finding our feet and it was just like I had studios here mm. and there when we moved to Brunswick, I had one, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I had a studio and I was like drawing pictures from fashion magazines. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, it was basically just a practice mm-hmm. to keep it going, but it wasn't anything like, or uh, the love wasn't in it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Anna and I know all too well that burnout can absolutely kill creativity. Like that oh, is, yeah. that is so real for us. That happened, you know, towards the end of last year and you need mm. the break, you need to step back and you need to rediscover yourself. Did you always know yeah. though, in your heart of hearts that you were going to end up making a career or making money off of your art? I mean, that was a dream. That's the one thing that I've always known about myself or the one thing that's always been a very clear goal in my head that I wanted to be an artist. It was like from my earliest memories, it, I come from a really artistic family. Mm-hmm. So it was the only one thing in life that I knew I really, really wanted. I'm pretty like go with the flow and laid back and a little bit of a dreamer. Yeah. But it's that one thing, that one continual narrative throughout everything that I was like, I want that. And I know there's no doubt in my mind, I want to be an artist. So mm-hmm. it was there. It was maybe just like at the back of my mind or like below the surface, but it was definitely the major life plan was obviously to dream of becoming an artist. So you were painting, you were kind of exploring a new style, it sounds like, in those early Mm -hmm. days when you re-picked up the brush and you started sort of photographing your work and putting it on Instagram. Who were your first customers? Like, I'm sure you got some sales through or some interest through Instagram, but who were those first customers and how did it, how did it grow? Um, I definitely think working for Pop and Scott, I I Mm -hmm. ended up managing the showroom. So when they built their showroom, I was dealing with their clients all the time. I was selling and interior designers were coming in, decorators were coming in, architects. So I was starting to get a good gauge of who I wanted to sell my work to. So I think when I first started uploading paintings and stuff onto Instagram, I think definitely that and that kind of people and that you know, those people of areas of interest that aligned were definitely looking or watching what I was doing. Mm. So I think by default of me actually working with um, a kind of design workshop, I was kind of accidentally, but, you know. Strategically. In, you're in the right yeah, market. You're in, you're, yeah, yeah. Yep. Tapping into that market. Yep. I mean, there was a lot of people in that space at that time. There was Bruce Rowe, who was Anchor Ceramics. He was also an architect at that point. His wife, Claire, I think Poppy was kind enough to let me um, display my artwork in the shop as well. When I actually done some works and framed them, she was like, frame them, you can put them in the shop. So I think I immediately had a really good platform. So people that were shopping through Pop and Scott, which which still is, but was at that point at the absolute peak Mm. of their like the, re- the visibility was everywhere. I think having my stuff in that shop, it just kind of gave me that next step. So I think their clients were definitely my clients, which was great. 
mm. for a starting point. I, w- I wasn't really starting at markets or yeah. like how other people, which I wouldn't wouldn't have done anyway because it's not my thing. Mm. But like I accessed a really good clientele and professional client base, to be honest. Do you know what I think is really interesting about that? You made a comment earlier saying you were on Instagram at the right time. And, you know, there was this golden age of Instagram where it was e- easier to build a following. It's very saturated now. And yeah. yes, that's true. But also you build interest in a following through doing things in the real world. Like, yes, you can go viral with your content, but like you have to be out there in the world doing things to generate the interest. So like, I think what's really interesting is, you know, you tapped into the right network. Mm. You know, you were in the right crowd of people. You were talking to the right people. You were in that environment and opportunities came off the back of that. And I think there's a really good lesson in there for people, which is like, as a creative, your network is so important. It's so important. Do you credit a lot of your, I guess, early success or some of your success to those relationships and that network that you formed? You know, as someone who landed in Australia knowing nobody, it's a pretty yeah. amazing, pretty amazing thing that you've been able to cultivate. Yeah, uh, definitely. And do you know what? I think that's some, a part that people always miss. They're like right place at the right time on Instagram, but it's networking is huge. Mm. I, I think me as a person and Steve, people always label us as lucky and we're like no we work really hard but we're also we love people and we're good with people like we genuinely love getting to know a wide variety of people and from where I come from I'm from a very small town in Greenock very humble upbringing I think it's a skill and I credit to my parents that I'm able to go in a room and talk to absolutely everyone and hold myself in a different kind of variety of people I can mingle with Jimmy on the street, the local nutter. And I can also go in (laughs) and have a good conversation with like an architect or a publisher Mm. or a designer. So, and also knowing the knowledge of the industry as well, because I've Mm. studied so, Mm. so long and I have interests, I'm constantly learning. Mm. I although my interests were in art, I'm really into architecture, interior design, Mm. uh, fashion, textiles. So I'm able to have conversations and build relationships with the industry as a whole, not just art. So I'm not just Mm. single-minded. So I think that's a really good point to touch on Mm. is being around people, making the connections, but also being really open and connecting with potential clients and customers too. Like I genuinely love talking to people. So when I was in Pop and Scott working in the showroom, I definitely would have built like a huge amount of, um, a client base through just conversations with people who weren't even coming to buy my work that were coming to buy something like a pot from Pop and Scott or a plant or a couch and that is mm. all interlinked like being able to actually be and not I'm not a salesperson at all I hate I hated mm-hmm. that I didn't having to go can I offer you any help it's actually just talking about other things that lead that led me to sales with people so having knowledge in different areas and and building relationships Mm. It's an interesting conversation because we hear it a lot with women in our community, which is, you know, oh, sales, like, oh, I, I don't want to do it. I hate it. I can't do it. But really, it's it's talking passionately about your work and, and what you can offer people. Mm. Have, you, have you found your groove with that a little bit? I'm definitely getting better. I think it's something that um, I'm working on. I'm actually seeing a business coach just now, and it is something that I mentioned right at the start is being able to actually talk with pride about what I do because Mm. being Scottish Scottish people are pretty self-depleting like they like they really 
they flog each other. They're not good at giving compliments. And I find it easier to talk about Steve. If I'm in a professional environment and someone's asking about mm. my work, I somehow flick it to talking about Steve. Mm. I get really embarrassed when it's talking about my own work. But I need to, that's something that I'm really working on, being able to be like, not actually value what I do. And I'm not embarrassed by saying, because I think a lot of the thing is being an artist, it's like, am I allowed to give myself that title? That's a huge thing in the art industry. Like, have you earned your stripes as an artist? And I'm like, well, qualification wise, yes. Mm. And I feel like I am slowly coming in, being allowed to label myself with that title as well. So it's a hard thing being able to sell your own stuff, but mm. I think my personality is such a big part of my work that mm-hmm. I'm lucky that that kind of sells it. If you know what I mean, I don't really need to hard sell my work. It's kind of myself that I'm selling. Yeah. People buy Literally. into you as well as your work. I think so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely something that we've, you know, been, we've noticed is you love to share and take people inside your world and your life. You know, there's so many great things on your Instagram. You've got your partner, you've got your, you know, the baby and, you know, your life. What's that What's that like? Do you think that you have to kind of overshare or do you have to share a lot and take people behind the scenes in order for them to really build a relationship with you? To be honest, that was by complete accident. I, if you know me personally, I am a complete oversharer. <laughs> there is nothing that I don't, that I keep to myself. In fact, there's been many arguments of Stephen being like, can you just fucking keep that to yourself? Um, <laughs> this is not so this is too much knowledge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... That's a bit too much. So it's actually, it's more of a struggle for me not to Mm. give everything, to actually hold back because I love taking photos. I love sharing what I'm doing. It's kind of second nature to me. It drives Steve up the wall. The fact he's like, can we not just like have a conversation without you fucking sharing it? And I'm like, well, (laughs) it's... You're secretly secretly recording it. Yeah, yeah, you're like (laughs) recording this for like... evidence later it's it's I really enjoy capturing stuff and I've Mm. always been that way before Instagram before phones I always had a camera on me and I always even had a disposable camera I just love finding the beautiful things in everyday life so I've Mm. always kind of done it but recently I've been trying to see I don't know it's constantly like you don't know what the right thing is to do I feel like I need to share less personal and more work, which is hard because we're in lockdown and now I'm more time a mother than I am in the studio. So mm. it is, it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't tactful. It wasn't a plan. It's just my natural kind of way of doing things is to overshare. Can I, can I ask you, do you think that you overshare or share more of the personal in order to avoid sharing? the art and the business because that's where the insecurity is? Probably. Mm. I always take the kind of jovial route rather than I really struggle being serious. So it is probably deep down, is probably a way of like hiding from that. Mm. For sure. Do you struggle with um, people judging your artwork and, and being seen? Because I think, you know, anything you do creatively, anything that you create and put out into the world is there to be judged and to be scrutinized and everyone's got an opinion, let's be honest. Is that Mm -hmm. the part that you struggle with the most? Are you my therapist? You're actually Caitlin gets like this. (laughs) Caitlin, what the hell? She can really get to the heart of it. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I've spoke about this 
I feel I see a kinesiologist and I've I've spoke to her about this because I feel like we're kind of being forced to really dig deep and look at ourselves and all our our kind of dark shadows and stuff and bring them and it's a real maybe as the time that we all needed to kind of bring all that stuff to the surface mm. maybe that's what this is all about um but that is something that's been a huge insecurity of mine is a lot of people give me like backhanders and even like there's certain people that have always said to me like if they're talking about someone else they go yeah but they're a proper artist and I'm like what the fuck does that what does that that mean like and there is this thing in me where I like I really want to do a fucking renaissance painting just to go well fuck you I can do it I can yeah and like even my friends like they joke but same time I'm just like mm. but I understand that they're not in my industry and they don't get it because they've yeah. not got a creative mind they're like analytical or yep. but they do go yeah you paint circles for a living and I'm like yeah that's all I do mm. and even when I speak to people who back home who don't get it they they work in different roles completely different industries and they speak to me as if I'm an idiot sometimes and I'm just like actually I'm running my own business I've just started another business and I've been doing it on my own with a child with no help no family here no financial help at all I've, I've built this myself no one else me and I'm like it does there is so many little underlying kind of insecurities mm. under the surface it's just like I mean like people comment and then saying you're not a proper artist it's like what is a proper artist Mm. drives me mental drives me mental too mm. that that's that's tough and that's tough because you're feeling like you're in a, you're then in a headspace where you have to defend yourself yeah. constantly and prove yourself and prove <clears> yourself <throat> and that gets in the way of being able to do your best work and we all experience I mean you know I think I experience it just in it from a different perspective you know through mm. the work that we produce and put out into the world but when you are constantly having to think and you know what what are people what what, what are people's opinions of this and then mm. when you do kind of get that either you know the negative feedback or and look, a lot of it's constructive, but a lot of it is just like, Not you don't know what you're mm. doing. You know, we know what yeah. we're doing. You know what you're doing. You know, where, you know, we've been doing this for a while. Like it, it can be hard when you're in that mindset of having to constantly defend yourself and prove yourself. Mm. It, it, it is. And it's such a, um, it's such a, it's a very, like it's a change in constantly evolving industry, but it's mm. also like, the art industry is really like old school, elitist, tends to be really upper class. I'm not upper class. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I feel like already from the get-go, I'm stepping into a box that doesn't belong to me. So I feel like I'm constantly having to prove myself, which yeah. is, I mean, it happens in every industry, but sometimes when you actually poke that, you're just like, oh yeah, okay, this is where this is all coming from. Do you think you'll ever get there? What does success look like to you? Like what's your... I mean, do- do you ever get there? That's me and Steve talk about this all the time. We have certain things like just it constantly shifts. Your pegs mm. move and you're just like, I mean, like being on Lady Brain's podcast, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like I listen to your podcast all the time and I'm like, <laughs> fuck, they've interviewed people that I'm like, I can't even believe I'm in the same realm of speaking to. So you're just like, well, I never thought that would happen. Then it happens, then it moves. I think mm. success is, I mean, there's like, abstract thoughts have been able to have like monetary success like mm. being able to but then my um my new business coach has been breaking that down like how is that like you could just 
go and buy those things if you want. How does that mean success? So, and getting a claim or being like a renowned artist, like what does that mean? And you're like, I don't know, are these things that I've just put on myself, like these labels that once you achieve them, you're going to move on to the next, the next mm. bigger thing. And I think that's for people who are ambitious and hardworking. I think that's how people evolve as well like constantly setting targets and goals and then actually achieving them and then being like, oh, okay, I've got here, like what's next? So I think it's definitely a hindrance, but also like a driving force. Mm. I think it needs to have achievable goals in mind. Then when you meet them, you're like, okay, now I can go bigger. Now this this gives me the point that I can actually get to another point, if you know what I mean, like you've achieved this, so then you can do this. I remember we polled this in our Facebook group uh, probably a couple of months ago and we were like, what does success mean to you? And the majority of people said progress. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really mm-hmm. true. It's like if you feel like you're moving forward, then you feel like you're successful. But by the very nature of the word progress, it means that you're moving, moving through forward. something, you're moving yep. forward. So yeah. there's no, there's there's really no end point. No, no. Mm-mm. But it's like, but I guess, yeah, there is no end point. But does the, does the feeling of not being good enough and just the mm. feeling of having to prove yourself and of struggling mm. ever end? Mm. Mm, probably not. Mm. I mean, I think a real point of mine is if I had a piece of art that was exhibited mm. in like a really renowned gallery, like in this top Australian gallery, like the Hyde or, you know, I mean, the NGV, I mean, that mm. just seems mental. But if I was ever to have a piece of my work, on display in the NGV, like that to me would be like, okay, now you need to shut up and sit down and actually be like, okay, pat yourself on yeah. the back kind of thing. Yeah. Like yeah. you would have yeah. to recognize You'd that. You'd have to. Yeah. 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 I mean, you have had uh, a piece of work in the Guggenheim in New York. Oh. Can we? Wait, wait, hang on. So if that, is that not enough? Yeah, I know. I'm like, <laughs> well, is it? Yeah, good. Technically, it was Solange Knowles used it for her an ode to show within the Guggenheim. So technically, my art has actually been on, on the wall inside, <laughs> inside the Guggenheim, but it's not actually been like a commission piece. Yes. It's not mm, actually yeah. been like, here is an exhibition yes. showcasing. Yes. I mean, that is just like in itself. If that ever happened, I think I would probably just drop dead in the spot. I mean, <laughs> but that, I mean, that is, I mean, it's really hard because there's so many different aspects within that as well. Mm. And there are little niggles that come in of being people giving you a backhanded compliment going, oh yeah, but she's a commercial artist. Sorry, I want to be commercial. Andy Warhol was a commercial artist. Yeah, Pablo Picasso was a commercial mm-hmm. artist. Mm-hmm. Commercial means money and acclaim. Damien Hurst, like Damien Hurst has got the best art career pretty much in history. He's up there with one of the best mm. contemporary artists of all time. Yeah, I want to be like Damien Hurst. I will mm. sell my soul for that. Mm. That's... Uh, that's what you want. Yeah. But people use it as like, oh yeah, but they're commercial. Like, but then yeah. like, what's the alternative? Like yeah. a struggling, struggling artist? artist. A struggling artist. Like, which that's I'm... not a great, that's not aspirational. But people love to see it. People love I to watch it. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't no. want to be that sorry. No. I don't want to be eating beans and, you know, sleeping on a mattress on the floor. No. I want a really beautiful house and I want my work to be in really beautiful places. Mm. And I want to earn... I don't want to earn money when I'm dead. Yeah. I want to earn money now. Totally. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? yeah. Yeah. So can we talk about that? So you have managed to commercialise your creativity, commercialise your passion. Can you mm-hmm. break it down for us? How does your art business make money? So a few years ago, I went against advice from Stephen and Poppy and my friend Kent, who was just like, I've just, well, Kent 
My friend Kent's amazing. He is all, I'm so not techy, not tech savvy at all. I'm learning, but I'm not there. So Kent went on my website and he's like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> Great review. <laughs> yeah. Keeping it real. Thanks. He's like, there's 40,000 on your people on your website and you've got nothing to fucking buy. And I was like, oh. He's like, You're like, good point. Good point. Yep. Fair, fair, yeah. Fair. He's like that. You've got to, you've got to sell prints, and I was like, no, I don't want to do that because then, like, I'll devalue my work. And he's like, it's pretty much the exact opposite, opposite of devaluing yeah. your work because you're selling it. And yeah. I was like, oh fuck! So honestly, him and Steve were like at me, like, when are you going to do prints? When are you going to do prints? I was like, oh, for fuck's sake! So I was like, I don't want to, like, I, I don't, I don't want to sell them for cheaper. And Steve's like what you're meant you're saying you want to be a commercial artist but you're not like you can't just function on creating originals you're relying on like having like creative flow at that point like you can physically only paint so many paintings mm. Mm. and he's like make the damn prints so I made the damn prints and it became a constant stream of income for me which meant that I could actually look at doing other things I could make money which has been amazing so I have got a steady stream of income which means that I can pay my rent Mm -hmm. I can buy supplies then I can actually think and plan for a bigger project so best thing I've ever done so those prints are kind of your steady stream of revenue and then you do the originals and the commissions and other things around that yeah so then I've I've got um I do a loads of different jobs at one point before I well I was pregnant I was working like four jobs so my prints are like pretty much my money and then anything else on top of that is like a bonus. So I was the creative director of Little Company for five years. So I'd done all their photography, all their aesthetics kind of outlets. So their Instagram, um, even all the spaces, like going into the spaces, seeing how they work. So I've always done that. And then obviously originals and commissions mm-hmm. on top and projects. So any kind of like commercial projects so murals um, working for different companies creating things anything on top of that is like a bonus for me basically which it kind of takes off the pressure of the constant struggle for income so before that I was like okay what commissions have I got in this month like where is this money coming Mm -hmm. from so it's been like it's been a good steady source obviously it's still work because I need to still ensure that there's actually sales coming in from prints so that's like that's a new new thing like before I was before COVID. I didn't even really need to do. I probably obviously did because it's constant work for me. But effort on my part, me sharing what I'm doing comes natural. So sales were just like flying in the door without right. me kind of. So the sales for originals and commissions yep. were just mostly inbound from social yeah. media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't yeah. need to. I didn't. I didn't need to pitch to anyone. They were just coming in. Yeah. Um. I've noticed over COVID originals have kind of slowed and then the prints have just been going a lot because I think everyone's staying at home they're maybe not wanting to spend as big but they're wanting to Mm. update their update their house so they've been amazing but I've maybe put more of my focus on prints now I don't really I think I'm working on my next exhibition but it just keeps being moved so I'm like Mm. I don't know what to do like it's just one of those things so have you had to actively market your prints and I've, I've started not actively market, but make sure that I am posting enough about my studio time and my work rather than James eating his dinner. Yeah. 
<laughs> which we still love. Let's yeah, yeah, be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah, you do. Like honestly, if I um, if I'm sharing my practice and what I'm doing mm. with my art and my prints, yeah. then people are engaged with that. Whereas yeah. obviously, if they're not seeing something in front of them, they're not going to be like, "Oh, I want that." So, and then obviously with um my business coach, he's went into the back end of my website again yeah. and being like, have you ever looked in the analytics? And I'm like, no. And he's like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> again. <laughs> again. Another what the Isn't fuck? Isn't it great? When you have that information, you can make great decisions mm. for your business. Oh. And I bet that, you know, you know, having that conversation while, yes, it was like, what the fuck are you doing with your website? Look at what that's opened up. And it's just so nice yeah. to have sometimes those people that, you know, care, but then to just receive that, finally kind of receive that information and, yeah. and go, all right, let's give this a go. And like, it's obviously changed your business for the better. Mm. What decisions have you made off the back of the analytics? Mm. What have they told you? Oh, hell. Honestly, I was nearly sick. I was like, oh. Because I just like, I just want to make things look nice. Yeah. I've got by, I've got this horrible thing where it's a good thing and it's a bad thing where I just want to do everything myself. And mm-hmm. he's like, mm, yeah, you're literally doing a $25 an hour job when you should be doing your $300 an hour job, i.e. creating works and yep. painting them. So let it go. But he went into, <laughs> it was like two weeks ago we were in here and he went into like the back ends of my website and he went into the analytics and he's like, do you know since January, you have had $1.5 million of sales in your abandoned cart? And I was like, what's that? And he's <laughs> like, that's a joke. And he's like, you don't, you, so do you send an email to people who have like put your prints in? I was like, no. And he's like, oh my fucking God. And I was like, $1.5 million of lost sales. I was just like, oh shit. Yeah, I need your help. So he has been, yeah. He has just been like, here is how we make this. And he's like, just coming up with these strategies. So if somebody buys a print, like, let's send, send them the codes, yep. send them something else. He's like, do you have a mailing list? I was like, Classic. no. Wait, but surely <laughs> you'd captured all that data. You just weren't using it. Yeah, I just yeah. wasn't. Yeah. I've got all the, I've mm. got all the data. And yeah. People have yeah. Buyed good, it, but good. he's like, thank God. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, I, you know, let's just say I purchased a print from you in, like, January last year, and then now all of a sudden I'm receiving all a flurry of emails. Like, um, hi, guys, really sorry I've been quiet. Um, yeah, <laughs> d- didn't realise. <laughs> I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. Hi, so hi again. again. <laughs> it's, I just didn't think of that uh, stuff. In a branding cart, I was like, I never want to force people into buying anything. If you want to buy it, you'll buy it. But yeah, it's like, of course. how much, how many times late at night during lockdown or when you've been when I've been breastfeeding, sitting, like filling my car up and yeah. then just getting distracted and leaving it. He's like, yeah. people just forget. Yeah. And, like, and and so how's that, how is the recovery email performing? I'm not sent it yet. Oh, in the process. <laughs> in the process. <laughs> on the list. No, I've actually like, it's really good because he, at the end of our meeting, he'll send me a email of like, okay, in two weeks time is our next meeting here is a list of tasks you need to do mm. and finish and com- have them to me by the 18th. So I've got six days, yep. have them to me by here. So I need to have like, I've got, thank you. Cause I actually hand, yep. hand see when right. I say this stuff out loud, I'm like, I'm a dickhead. Like I could be living a much better life than I am. 
But I like handwrite all the thank you notes because it's like, oh, I just don't want to waste paper and get them printed and things like that. How long do you take to write these handwritten thank you notes? And I was like, mm. he's like, how many paintings could you have done in that time? And I'm like, mm. okay, I'll order the thank you notes. So I've done them this week and I've ordered them and I've got codes and I've designed in the email to get sent out to all the people who purchased prints. But yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. And he's he even just stripping it back, he's like, so what have you done with like your keywords and your SEO and your to get you to the top of the Google search? And he's like, hold on, I'm gonna put it in. He's like, okay, your top search in Google, how did you do that? And I was like, I didn't. And he's <laughs> like, okay, so let me get this there. You do nothing and you've managed to get like the top search in Google. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, he's like, you're just like, you've managed to do it without meaning to do it. Any but, sort of strategy like, behind it. <clears throat> Yeah, but we need to now, like in order to, yeah, yeah, in order to be strategic now and actually like nail these kind of milestone goals, we're going to need to put these things in place. And I'm like, yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) Whatever you say, sir. Accountable. And so what are the goals? What are, you know, what are, what's the plan? Do you want to know the crazy goal? Yeah, go for it. We want to know them all. Okay. So the absolute high mental abstract, goal mm-hmm. that you probably don't ever want to say it like you sound like an idiot put it out there but <laughs> he wants to make a hundred grand in a day oh amazing good can do like, oh, okay <laughs> we'll see but he's good because he's like went into my finances and he's like you're there's a lot of money coming in but there's a lot of money going out because where you know, yeah what are you spending it going? on like food shopping and like baby stuff like uh because we don't have a joint account everything's coming out my account yeah yeah big things come out of his account but the day-to-day everything comes out of my account so like the we've got a we've got the share a business coach we've just taken on an accountant who's literally going into our finances and being like we need to open like six different accounts so i don't pay myself a wage i just all the money goes into my one account which Mm. everything for the family comes out of everything for my business comes out of and he's like what the hell so we're opening up (laughs) (laughs) you've done this podcast thinking i knew what i was doing and now you're just like (laughs) (laughs) Um, so now we're gonna have like five different accounts he's he's amazing he's managed to break down earnings into percentages so i'll pay myself a certain amount every week Mm -hmm. and that's money that i will live off for essentials like shopping fuel blah 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 then there'll be like a there'll be an investment account. So a percentage of my weekly earnings will go into a savings account that will go towards investing because that's something I've always wanted Mm. to do is invest. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there will be like a long-term saving goals, a short-term saving goals, and then something else. So holidays will come out of one and then like long-term like house, big spends like car, that kind of thing. So we'll be both, both our incomes will be going together and they'll be growing towards because we've never shared money either we've always wow. been really separate mm. it's only since we've had James where we were like wait wait a minute I'm paying for all the food and the nappies and the clothes mm. and so it's like all of my money is going to that and mm. I don't know he's got a huge outlay because he's got maybe like 10 plus staff now so it's oh, wow. a whole different ball yeah. game but he's just helped he really came at the right time I've yeah, been like, nice. we need to start because I've never, Stephen's the kind of guy who's got like a 5, 10, 20 year plan. 
I'm kind of just like going along for the ride and being like, yeah, I want to do this. But it's like, yeah. Stephen's like, well, how are you going to do it? Here's all the plans. So now I'm starting to get in that headspace where like, yeah, maybe I do want to own a house. I do want to make sure that I've got like all this stuff in place. Yeah. I think mm. that, you know, when you're building a business, at some point you get to the point in the journey yeah. where you're like, okay, we've got to build some structure in this. Mm. We've got to build some processes. Yeah. We've got to build a bit of rigor mm. and some routine. As a creative, free-flowing person, do you enjoy that side of the business or do you find it intimidating? <laughs> Are you like, nah, someone else do this for me? <laughs> I am like numbers thick. I, I've never, like, you should play Uno with me. My friends bully me. <laughs> oh. They play Uno and they make me do all the math calculations at the end and they all sit laughing. They're like, fucking wrong. <laughs> I do sums back to front. I add up the, the front number. To, I do sums back to front. Oh, so I'd like, say, it's like, yeah, say it's yeah. like 324 and 600 and something. I'll add the 300 and the 600 first oh. rather than going outside in. I'm really, really bad at math. So anything like that. I wanted to ask a question about um, working with brands and co-creating content or, you know, those more commercial partnerships. Mm. Can you talk us through that? Like, how do you decide who to work with? Is it you've got a lot of inbound? Is it more yeah. going out to these brands and saying, hey, I'd love to work with you? Talk us through this process. I, to be honest, I never really approach brands. They always come to me and I don't accept a lot of them because mm. through experience and Jenna, me and Jenna talk about this a lot. Mm. It is never in our favor, ever. Interesting. The huge commercial jobs through agencies where it's maybe not your top job list, but the pay with that is insane and you're, it's kind of worth it. But when it comes to collaborations, and this is the fucking term that drives me mental mm. collaborations, brands are like, I want to use your name, what you've built to sell my shit, but I've only got a budget of $500. Mm. And you're like, well, no. Like someone actually posted, um, I regrammed it yesterday, but it was on my private one. Um, it was something like a response to something, a company's coming to creatives. It's like, sorry, I'm not actually taking on any unpaid work at this minute. Like, they just, I have got a bit of a thing and I think it needs to change is these huge companies coming and wanting to use creatives, pretending they support creatives, mm. being an advocate for creatives, but not paying the creatives. Mm. Like you pay your design team, you're getting paid right now to come and pitch this to me. Yeah. Like who the fuck's paying me? So, I mean, recently I've had a few good ones. I'm really, really picky with who I actually choose to go with. And now I feel stronger in myself to be like straight out the bat. I'm like, what's your budget? Because if yes. you, I'm not, I'm not spending two hours out of my studio day that is, I get two a week. I'm not creating a quote for you and budgeting for me to give you that price. And then go, mm, we only had a hundred dollars. And you're like, well, that wouldn't even get you dinner. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So now I've got more confident. I've been straight out the back. Like, what's your budget? I need to know that before I even give this time. So recently I've done a really good one with um, Made For Studio. They wanted me to do a mural, which I've wanted to do for a long time, but it's just not been aligned. Nobody really wants to pay for murals now. Eat Well, they didn't want to pay for murals. Expect you, like it's huge. Mm. They expect you to do it for such a tiny price. And you're like, but that's like eight times the size of an original. That's like eight times the time it takes. Yeah, yeah. What? Like do the math. Like mm, you can mm. work that out in your head. So I've just done one for Made for Studio in the new Frank Body HQ. Oh, cool. Yep, we know them. Yeah, yeah come on. Yeah, yeah cool. Yes. Yeah, cool. 
really beautiful and and they were really yeah they were really good to work for they gave me like pretty much full creative rights on it they were just like here is the space that they they were awesome because I kind of didn't figure out what I was doing I work in a particular way it's all about feeling it and being Mm. in the environment so it is different to a lot of people that maybe like fully get like designers and renderers in and fully see what it's going to look like I'm like I'm not going to know what it looks like until I'm there standing Mm -hmm. in front of the wall so they were really good with that and I love that project but there is a lot of them that come in and I'm like no no thanks so with something like that how do you know how to price your work is it based purely on time do you put you know do you have an an hourly rate that you calculate and then you kind of put a little primo on because of the Bobby Clark brand like how do you go about pricing see pricing it drives me fucking mental and I, I think Everyone is really, really secretive about their pricing. There's not anywhere that you can look on and go. Mm, yeah. So half of the time, it's just you're you're basing it on your own value. And you, mm. I mean, I know you guys will be the same. You devalue your yeah. own time and your own yeah. work and your own worth and your own brand. So what I normally do is I've got a couple of friends that have been like, hey, I'm pricing this job. Here's the quote. What do you think about it? Honestly, that is how creatives work. There is no database you can look on unless... I have considered getting an agent um, to help me with pricing because but it's also finding an agent in the art realm who's going to, that's involved in that is really, really tricky. I haven't managed to find one yet. Mm. So it is, it's one of those really annoying grey areas of the industry where it's like, can someone just create some form of like database that you can go on and look? Because although it's very specific to the job that you're doing, what I normally do is I sit down, I estimate how long it's going to take me. Mm. Like physically, if it says, I'll just use the mural as uh, an example. I'll estimate how long it's going to take for me to paint it, how long it's going to take for me to design it. You've also got to take into consideration the amount of time beforehand and the initial stages. So like all your emailing, your calls, your research, you have to consider that because mm. if you if you only mm. consider the work that you're doing on the day, you've just worked like an extra three days for free. Yeah. Then you've obviously got to tack on like what it is for you, for them to be using your brand and your name to do something. So it's quite hard to find that balance. And then mm. more often than not, because of the position that we've just been in, I know that everyone is kind of in the same boat. So recently I've been like, What's your budget? I will compromise or kind of change Rework. and the mm. design based on what your budget is. So if you want something, but then the time it takes for me to do that and the design work involved, it's not going to work. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring this down. We're going to reduce the colors. We're going to reduce the time. And that's it. So we're all happy. I kind of got in the realm of doing that just now because some things are just impossible. Mm. I love when people just go, can you do that for this? And I go, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No worries. Yes. Show me the money. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Done. Yeah. It is really, yeah. really difficult because there's so many different aspects yeah. that you need to consider for the job. So what's been the toughest moment of your journey so far? Oh God. That's a hard question. I think just knowing that what you're doing is the right decision, because obviously there is those quieter months and you're like, have I absolutely shafted myself? Like I don't get holiday pay. I don't get sick pay. I had two weeks maternity leave. I worked until the day before I gave birth. 
Mm. Like, would it be easier if I worked for a really good company and had all those privileges? Would I, I would be more secure. I'd have like a constant, steady, known income coming in. Like, would I be happier without having to constantly work so hard? Like we've, I've just always worked like six days a week. Like just, you never switch off. Mm -hmm. Like I think that as a whole, regardless of where you're at in your career is always, I think every now and again, you definitely have that doubt in your head. Like, is this going to end one day? Have Mm -hmm. I just lost that time when I could be building another career? But then it's a gamble we take. And finally, we wanted to give you the chance to shout out to another lady brain that's helped you on your journey so far. Oh, I mean, there's been so many. I think I definitely need to acknowledge Poppy at the start of my career because she took me in and gave me that platform and introduced me to so much. Um, Stace and Kent, he isn't a lady brain, but he kind of is a lady brain. That's fine. It's a a vibe. Yeah, Yeah. they, they just taught me so much and... Obviously, Steve, he's a bit of a lady. Um, <laughs> he constantly like, brings me in. But then my friend Annika, Jenna, my friends, um, Two Casses, Fig and Salt and Firecracker. Like, and my friend Nat, she owns Wildflowers. I know a lot of women who are doing mm. their own thing and running their own businesses. So I think having that really good network of people like, and people you can reach out and go, oh my God, I'm so stuck. Like, I always send Annika and Jenna um, and actually cast a firecracker she's got a pretty good like strategic mind for stuff I'm always like okay how do you use zero they're all really really open with like sharing their knowledge so I'm actually really lucky I've got a really strong group of friends around me that I can be like help me I've got no idea what's going on you're lucky but you've created that mm. you came here knowing no one and look at where you yeah. are now so like there is always luck but you know that's down to you luck yeah. and hard work yeah Luck and hard work. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What a cracking chat that was. A few things from us. So firstly, when you're starting something new, whether it's a new business, a hobby, a passion project, break it down to its smallest possible first action. Bobby had experienced four years of creative block before picking up a paintbrush again, which is a bloody long time. But instead of getting overwhelmed with the road ahead, she really immersed herself in the creative world and she went back to basics with her painting. The goal was to get her brush to canvas and nothing more. Secondly, if you are building your personal brand, don't underestimate the power of getting out and about and meeting people in real life. Sure, Bobby was around on the golden age of Instagram. Don't we all wish we were? But actually, social media alone wasn't what built the brand. She got her first customers through the clients she met at Pop and Scott, and she has really continued to gain momentum through the people that she actively goes out and meets. Finally, there is no set of golden rules for pricing your creative work, but there is one you should follow, and that is to cost out every single damn minute of your time. Bobby had a realisation that whenever she was on the phone to brands talking about projects, they were being paid for every second of their time through their salary, and so should she. So do not be afraid to charge for your time. Even the time you spend quoting is time you could be spending somewhere else in your business. This conversation does not end here. We are talking about this over in the Facebook group. It is the Lady Brains Clubhouse, so come and join us. And follow us on Instagram. We're at lady.brains. We have lots of behind-the-scenes action over there, including how many takes it's taken me to record this final set of lessons. Lady Brains is produced by Beth Gibson, audio production by Nicholas Sitch.